Hello, everybody, and welcome to the American Shoreline Podcast. My name is Peter Rebell. I'm the co-host of the show. And I'm Tyler Buckingham, the other co-host. You know, Tyler, last week on the American Shoreline Podcast Network, I have to say we had some banging great shows that I wanted to talk about this week. Uh, and I think there's some things we need to remind folks out there of uh uh, what they can catch up to because uh, there's some really good content. Well, here we are. It's the middle of summer, Peter. Uh, it is the beginning of August. Yes, this is take two. Uh, it's the beginning of August. It might feel later because it's really hot out. <laughs> but uh, it's been just a killer uh, couple weeks here on ASPN. Um, we've got some exciting uh, things coming up, some really cool uh, announcements about future shows, uh, but also. Uh, just a couple days ago, uh, Peter and I got to go see The Living Coast, which we had the uh, creators on uh, the program a week ago. So y'all will remember Justin Sherburn and Anlo Sepulveda. Uh, we got to go see the show live here in Austin. It was the, the premiere. The premiere. A sold out crowd of enthusiastic coastal citizens here yeah. in the in the non-coastal city of uh, Austin, Texas, in the t- in the hill country here. But boy, the love of the coast really comes all the way in. And we went to see that. And we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about what else we've got going on on the, uh, the network. Um, some exciting announcements. But before, Peter, we get into this, let's have a quick word from our favorite sponsor <laughs> of this very program. The favorite sponsor of Coastal News Today and the American Shoreline Podcast right now is uh, is us, Coastal News Today and the American Shoreline Podcast, brought to you by this publication, this podcast network. We're happy to do it. And uh, we're having some great conversation with potential sponsors right now. And uh, so it's a, it's a chance for you to uh, uh, bring your company to our audience, let our audience get to know you better. So if you're interested in being a sponsor of Coastal News Today and the American Shoreline Podcast Network, now is a good time to call, reach Tyler and I at peter at coastalnewstoday.com or tyler at coastalnewstoday.com. Reach out. Look forward to hearing from y'all. Now, listen, uh, Peter, uh, let's just start at the very beginning of the show, walking in there, full house. It's a, you know, first of all, this, this theater we were at is kind of a traditional old Austin theater on the main drag downtown. Right. Um, it's, it has the, you know, makings of kind of a formal event when you, when you show up and boy, did it live up to those expectations. It did. It's at the Stateside Theater in Congress Avenue, just right downtown, just a few blocks south of the Capitol. Uh, so a great spot, right? It's a historic theater in town. A lot of great shows uh, have been in and out of that venue. And it was a complete sellout for the Living Shoreline. And uh, I was actually surprised it was packed. Uh, I didn't know for sure uh, how many people would come out to see this. It's an unusual work that was presented. Uh, uh, you know, Anlo Sepulveda, who's a great filmmaker, and Justin Sherburn, who is a composer, joined forces and, and did this documentary film with a live music score. Uh, Ten-piece orchestra. I think in front of the screen. So yeah. when we're in the audience, we're looking at the, a full size movie screen. And Peter and I were sitting in like the friends and family section. So in our little zone, we were next to some of the other collaborators, people they interviewed for the project. Yeah. I mean, it was cool to just to talk to people that were sitting next to us. The drone pilot, the was, drone on, pilot was on our who row. Did some exquisite work. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, as a reminder, 
Uh, this is a show where you have a live orchestra playing uh, a piece of symphonic music, or as uh, Justin would say, rock and roll. I mean, he would yeah. describe it as just being rock and roll, but as, you know, some pretty kicking music with, you know, you have, there was a string section, they had a, a violin, a viola, a cello, right. trombone, trumpet, um, an electric guitar, a, uh, an electric bass, and a percussionist who just rocked the house. Yeah, he was really, really and good. And the theater was, the acoustics were stellar. Uh, and above this little orchestra is this big projection stre- screen onto which uh, Onlo's film was uh, shown. And let me tell you guys, it was, the energy was incredible. The, the acoustics, the sound of the snare hitting, yeah. the, the feel of the instruments was in a live setting. You don't get that without live instrumentation. And it really came through. And when you ju- put that next to imagery, and this the music was composed for the imagery. Right. Um, and you put, put those right next to each other. Uh, it really resonates. It's and powerful. It was. It was and, very powerful. And of course, a week ago, we had these two awesome dudes on the program and go back and listen to it because they would be better at describing why, you know, their decision making and how they approached it. But I'll tell you, as an audience member, Peter, I just found it to be it. It, impa- it hit. It really landed. Yeah, it, it was it was emotionally powerful. It uh, it. For the folks out there in the audience, you'll get a chance to see it. Maybe it's going, they're going to tour the show. It's uh, funded through the, uh, the National Endowment for the Arts, partially right. uh, City of Austin Cultural Arts, but uh, there's other organizations involved. Um, it is a a homage to the Gulf of Mexico and particularly the Texas coast, and it is a a film uh, about. All the things that we do along the coast, recreationally and shipping, industry, um, it, it everything. It, it's a vivid, just a vivid portrayal and absolutely beautifully shot. Um, and one of the things that I think really connected with Peter, you and I, is that it was all-encompassing. Um, it wasn't strictly the surfers or strictly the fishermen or strictly a film, you know, showing the coastal... Um, you know, beaches and dunes or the coastal uh, petrochemical installations and that kind of thing. It had it all and it put it next to each other. You saw the people with the machines and the dolphins with the ships. It, it crammed all of these silos into one film. And that was impactful because it was real. I mean, that is the way it really is when you're at the beach, especially I know our audience will appreciate the fact that, uh, you're constantly aware, especially as a, you know, a coastal professional or someone who's around the coast, how you're aware of the, of the interconnections that are happening, but it's also so damn beautiful that you just, it's still great. You know, that's what's so amazing about it. Yeah. It was, it's a little bit like what we're trying. It was a very anti silo uh, film. It was an environmental film, but it was also about the uh, about the industry of the coast and the economics of the coast and the uses of the resources on the coast in in a in a positive and even handed way. And uh, I just think it's it's damn good that they, they're going to take it on the road. They're going to go up into the Midwest with this film. They're trying to explain to people what is the connection between I think the Mississippi River and the and the practices on the interior parts of the country. And how that affects the 
the Gulf Coast in particular. Uh, and I, uh, we are going to have uh, Justin and Onlo on the program again sometime during their tour. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk to them. I again. think what really interests us. I know, okay. So if you're out there and you're like, why the hell are these guys talking about this music song and dance number? It's because, people, this is a different way of talking about the beach, about the coast, about the space between the land-water interface. It's not, uh, it's not the traditional way of, say, the way the engineers talk about it or the way uh, the oil and gas industry talks about it, but it's a really relevant way because or the government or the government, re- government or regulators policy. Exactly. The precisely, people. precisely. It's a different language. It's, it's largely a language of music and film. Um, but these, these other ways of communicating the coast are really effective and they, they send a message loud and clear. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, when we go in there, of course, we listen to everybody. That's what we do, Peter. We go out and we read all the news. We listen to all the communities of people. And this particular community of filmmakers and artists that are drawn to the coastal space and want to confront the same thing that we're confronting, yeah. the same problems, the same challenges, the same contradictions, uh, we can't exclude that voice from what we're doing. And in fact, I really welcome it because, well, for one, it's music to my ears. I mean, truly, it's, it, it gives uh, a cultural higher purpose, a narrative, something that really is beautiful to uh, right. watch and listen to and appreciate the space in which we work. I just, I'm, I think that it's, uh, I don't think we could not discuss this. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it, we look at, we look at coastal issues from a very technical standpoint with scientists. We talk to government people. Uh, we're going to be talking to George, uh, the land commissioner coming up here. This George month, P. Bush. George P. Bush. And, you know, we're very serious about that kind of thing. And But this emotional resonance of how people connect to the coast and what drives so many people to be passionate about it and has a great influence over uh, what people want to have happen on the coast and what policies they demand in action. It's, 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 this is where it originates is, is right. in people's heart and soul a little bit. And what these guys are doing is working in that, in that vocabulary of the heart and soul of the coast. And it's yeah. a, it's a good thing. If you're a coastal engineer, it's a good thing to look at this and remember, what, and, you know, what drives people. And I'll, I'll just take a quick minute to describe the show a little bit more in that, um, it was so there's an intermission so there's two components of the show i'm going to say the show was probably an hour and a half long in full there're probably two 45 mm-hmm. minute um uh you know f- acts i half, guess you'd say yeah. yeah and uh in act 1 uh, which was super incredible from the introduction, just the sound of the orchestra, which I described, but it's divided into kind of chapters. Yeah. They're subject matter chapters. Yeah. And um, though, though untitled uh, there, there's no uh, words or anything put in front of you to say, this is what this is about. No, it's, it's for the, the song ends, the musical uh, movement concludes. It's, it's, very similar to a way a symphony moves through. Yeah. Uh, well, like in the chapters in the first half of the show, one of the chapters was the Galveston hurricane. The final of, chapter. Of 1900. So it was an expose of the historic photography, the risks, the impact on the community. And again, there's no narration in this stuff. These are... It's just music and picture. Yeah. And leading into the chapter, we'll have a quote. They'll, they'll 
they'll make this, the screen goes black and they'll have a voiceover of someone talking about living on the coast or whatever this next chapter is about. So you, what I thought was great about what they did with the Galveston hurricane uh, was they were juxtaposing those old photos of the city before and after the hurricane, the devastation of the hurricane with more recent photography of yeah. hurricanes on the Texas coast. And, and, you know, we've been suffering through these things for a long time. It comes across that we continue to put ourselves in these positions of risk and uh, we live and absorb <laughs> that risk. And, and that, that uh, is the Texas coast. That's the Texas coast. It's the Gulf in. Coast. It's yeah. right in the middle of the entire work is this um, discussion of these gnarly storms that can just, that are scary. And that's one of the things that I think the creators really felt was the energy of mm-hmm. uh, being small next to the ocean, that the ocean can whip up a, a yeah. super gnarly storm and scare the piss out of you. Right. Forgive me. And, and then there's the, yeah, you know, that's, there's that. And then, so that kind of concluded act one. And then in act two, which was another really awesome piece of, so act one kind of focused on the nature um, the actual kind of geographic space, what it looked like in the water. There was some surf photography. There was mm-hmm. some underwater photography of reefs and stuff. And, yeah. Um, but there was also uh, the hurricane section, which is what ended the first uh, section. The second act of this, after intermission, we come back in and we enter into this realm of the um, industrialization and development industrially along the Texas coast, which is hugely important. We talk about it all the time on this program, how the Texas coast is often called the energy coast of America. Um, as though energy is what defines it. And, um, there were several, uh, chapters and kind of sub chapters dedicated to the people who live in the shadows of these big refineries, yeah. um, f- photo- beautiful photography of these incredible human creations juxtaposed yeah. to God's creation right next door. Right. I mean, really the, incredible. The, 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 the semi submersible offshore rigs that are, that are docked in Port Aransas. Uh, they have these great drone shots of these massive, drilling rigs that work in the deep Gulf that are currently in port, the wind tower turbines shots, the the drone photography of the industrialization of the coast is, is really powerful. It's stunningly beautiful. Um, and, but in its own unique way, you know, it's not, (laughs) it's there with the pelicans and the things in the marshes, but then you see what we've created on the coast and, you know, Texas is, is becoming it is called the energy coast and it's becoming more so with the with the development of lng export terminals all along the coast from beaumont to to uh, port arthur and it's it's i think there are probably at least five or six major lng terminals billions of dollars in energy investment on the texas coast coming right now that's that's really going to change what's happening down there and one of the reasons we try to keep track of that is because uh if you're a fisherman, you need to know, you know, how these waterways well, they're are going to get, it. they're going to, yeah, they're going to get replumbed, and, you know, we continue to modify the coast. We do. And I'll tell you what was really cool to me about this thing is, you know, you can go on to Netflix and watch a David Attenborough documentary. What you will not see is, uh, that wildlife immediately next to, uh, a human, 
made a man-made city or uh, a big tanker ship. It, that's not what. That's not what a nat- you know. There's there's this. Yeah, this, they usually don't put them this together. This genres coastal documentary and coastal storytelling in a way that I really like. Hmm. It yeah. it it's not simply wildlife. It's not simply about big industrial mega machines and refinery capacity and the, the, which, you know, let's be real guys. This is, this powers the, the modern world that we live and rely on. So I'm, we're not trying to small talk it at all. Mm-hmm. It's a chapter. It's a piece in the broader discussion that includes the whole thing. And they, they went out and did that and um, hats off to both of those guys and all of the whole team. It's a big team, all the musicians, um, outstanding artists all I, I think it's fair to say yeah. uh, every single person that worked on that project gave it uh, a ton of of effort they were out shooting in as we can all imagine shoot, making film we talked about this at uh, IOFF in San Francisco Peter but making film on and around and near the coast and oceans is hard to do. <laughs> yeah. We were talking to the drone pilot about just the sand, just managing sand in his, in his drones. Right. Uh, he lost a drone. He lost a $1,200 uh, piece of equipment doing, trying to make a shot, just come, total loss gone. Yep, yep, yep. And of course the onload dives in the water and is looking <laughs> for it, but the Gulf water is so brown. You can't see anything. And it's just, anyway, yeah, cannot recommend this show enough. And if you're out there and you run an organization, a nonprofit, uh, any sort of group where you gather coastal professionals together, you should really consider um, bringing these guys in. They have a grant. I understand that their grant covers, I think something like 50% of their cost of doing a show. Mm -hmm. So you start off with a 50% discount. Um, These guys are, uh, they, the, the way that they actually make this, go back and listen to our last show because they talk about it, but they do these interviews and they research. I mean, this is, this is not, um, this is not a half-assed production. No. This is a really serious thing. Yeah, it and a, it, it should be more than a year. It should be, oh, well, well more than a year. It should be shared and celebrated by the coastal community. And I know our audience believes in this stuff and wants to see it out there. So um, go check out The Living Coast by Montopolis. Just Google that up. And reach out to Justin. Reach out to us if you need help getting yeah. in touch with them. And um, they're looking to expand this, certainly along the Texas coast. You know, the show is specifically, but anywhere along the Gulf Coast, frankly. Yeah, of course. And um, frankly, th- this has this has utility and uh, will be resonant for people of all for all people. Well, it doesn't I, matter where you're from. It, or, was, it was hard not to think about what. Uh, what ASBPA could do at this. This ought to be screened at the ASBPA National Conference. I'd probably not this year in October. They probably got their agenda set up, but it, it would fit incredibly well into the ASBPA conference. The Gulf of Mexico Alliance, guys, this is right in your wheelhouse at your next all. Totally. Get on it. What's it called? The all team meeting coming yeah. up for the Gulf yeah. of Mexico Alliance. For folks. Celebrate the Gulf 2020, we got to have this here. Yeah. Celebrate this is the, a embrace, landmark. Embrace, embrace the, the Gulf. Gulf. Yeah. Is, and so those organizations ought to contact Montopolis Productions, Onlo and Justin, or we'll help you get in touch with them. But I think you would find this to be an incredible addition to a technical conference is to bring in this vividness and this unbelievably beautiful thing. It would, it would draw a crowd, get people engaged in what you're working on. So for all of those coastal organizations out there, 
take a look at the Living Coast. We're big fans of these guys. Yeah. Be inspired. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> so last week was also a pretty good. I mean, last week was the the Living Coast interview with those guys, which I really enjoyed. And I also wanted to give a shout out to one of our uh, one of our shows are to uh, Delta Dispatches with Jacques Beer and Simone Malaz uh, as the two co-hosts of that show. They put their hundredth episode out last week, and it was a special one, Tyler. It was a truly special one and a huge congratulations to Jacques and Simone and the whole team that uh, makes Delta Dispatches. They've been podcasting longer than we have, Peter. They have, Uh, yeah. And uh, we were so blessed and uh, stoked to have met them, met uh, a member of their team uh, at ASBPA actually last year and um, have them on the network for uh, six months now. They they cover perhaps the most important, certainly arguably the most important stretch of shoreline on the American shoreline, and that is the Louisiana shoreline. So it is fitting that for their 100th episode, they got to go to the governor's mansion of Louisiana and speak to the governor about John, coastal John issue. Bell Edwards, John Bell Edwards, mm-hmm. the the governor of the great state of Louisiana, yeah, and they have just a a kick-ass conversation about the shoreline, how the governor is viewing the management of it from now forward. And it's also a really interesting show because it's in the immediate aftermath of Hurricane Barry. Of Hurricane Barry. And it just just rumbled through. Rumbled through. Fortunately, we now know that it was not a, it didn't produce any sort of uh, major sort of disaster situation. But you got to go through the governor's mind and they, you know, they talk about the planning, the preparation. It's just, it really allows the listener to kind of frame up how uh, a leader of the governor's stature is looking at that kind of issue. It's, it's a really good show. And, and I, no offense to any other, the other states when we say that we think Louisiana is one of the most important stretches along the American shoreline. Yeah. Why is that? I, I say, Let's answer I, that I, question. Think, I think that's true because there's a $50 billion budget that goes right. with coastal restoration in Louisiana right now that I think in terms of the, of the planning that they're doing, the investment that they're making both at the state level, but it, with their partners in the federal level and at the local level. Uh, you know, Louisiana is is they're in trouble. You know, the coast is is eroding. They're losing a lot of land. There's a lot of risk down there in the in the shrimping and fisheries industry, and also in the energy industry. So there's a lot at stake. And uh, the governor talked about that in the interview. He said, "Look, I think what's going to be amazing for." Louisiana is when the other states begin to encounter the intensity of the problem that we're dealing with, they're going to go looking for people to ask about how to handle it, and they're going to come to Louisiana, and this is going to be in a major part of our contribution to the country is going to be our expertise in coastal management and shoreline management. And I'm not sure he's, he's wrong about that. I think he's kind of like, he's right. I mean, they are... They're putting more money in uh, onto the shoreline than anybody else, and they're going to know a lot more, and they're going to learn some things the hard way, and I think they are going to be able to share that experience with other people around well, the country. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously they're in the pressure cooker, as it were, uh, because right. it's moving fast. They're losing more land, New the New Orleans, the hurricane risk, et cetera. Right. Um, and I haven't even mentioned the great 
flood of 2019 of the Mississippi River and how everything upstream, I mean, the Mississippi River Basin is the largest drainage of the North American continent, and it's all exiting through right. uh, downtown, that, that shoreline. Downtown New Orleans. Yeah. <laughs> it comes through downtown New Orleans, I mean. And uh, yeah, and and of course, the Mississippi has been at flood stage really since last year, uh, and uh, I think it's calming down now, but... Uh, the amount of water that's coming out of the Midwest and those those Midwest floods and it's changing the, the coastline and it's having some detrimental impacts. You know, the state of Mississippi and I think the state of Louisiana will be looking for federal disaster declaration uh, for their fisheries. And we're going to be writing checks to oystermen and lobster uh, oh, totally. and, and, and shrimpers on the Gulf Coast who are losing their livelihoods because of this impact of the flood. And from a policy standpoint, it's very interesting for me anyway to watch. I'm, I'm fascinated by how we handle fisheries disaster uh, payouts. And uh, it's a little unusual. It's, 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 it's how they treat farmers when you, when you lose a crop. Uh, they're starting to pay. We're starting to pay fishermen. And uh, that's going to be interesting to see how that works out uh, as a policy for the country because I think it's going to be very expensive as – Things shift along the shoreline and fisheries are disrupted by climate change. Uh, I think we're going to be writing a lot of checks. We will. But, you know, Peter, I think it's also important to remember that in many respects, that's the job. You know, the government's job is to smooth the economic transition of uh, people within the economy and the economy, uh, exists yep. on planet earth. And as conditions on the planet change and, uh, Economies of uh, various, you know, fishing communities and fish trades and fish stocks, in fact, change, and the fish aren't there. And fish, um, yeah, you know, I do think it's important as a as a society that we um, protect people. But obviously, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And um, I think that uh, what we're seeing in these states, these areas that are just really, like I said before, in the pressure cooker, is that they're, uh, the prevention stage has passed. They're in the cure phase of things, at least. Yeah, I think You know, when we're talking about these, yeah. these fishermen there, when you're opening uh, spillways and changing the salinity, and I mean, th- these are predictable events uh, that would yeah. happen. Um, yeah. And... Uh, that's just the way that, that we are managing it right now. Politically, mm. I think that's the way we have to do it. We're not ready to give up the fishing uh, community, certainly not the seafood. I mean, I, I, the way that the seafood plays on the global market is um, complex. I mean, there's we're learning more and more doing this, Peter, about yeah. uh, the international trade of seafood. But uh, one thing's for, for darn certain that um, if you go down to... The bayou, uh, those people who have been working uh, and fishing coastal Louisiana for a long time really value it, whether they're commercial or recreational. Deep culture. Deep, deep, deep. And it's a great culture. It is. Um, It's it's a culture that I I personally wouldn't mind sitting down and (laughs) enjoying a a brewski with these fellas and, and ladies. So. Uh, um, yeah, I just think that I, I don't so much fault that. I just think it's important that we take account of it and we remember. 
Um, how long, how, how long before this happens again? And is this the new normal? And has it always been the new normal? I mean, these are the kind of questions that we're trying to bring to the fore here in our coverage of it. And Delta, that's why we run Delta dispatches every darn week, folks, is that we, we do believe that it's, yes, it's a lot of Louisiana. If you're from California, I get that, but pay attention to what they're doing, pay attention to the way folks react to things, pay attention to where there's agitation and where programs run over budget or can't figure out how to spend their money because this is exactly what's going to be coming down uh, the pipe for everyone else. It's not not unique. The problems that they're facing in Louisiana are not unique to that state. Uh, So congratulations to uh, Jacques Hebert. Huge congratulations. And Simone Malaz and all the folks at Delta Dispatches for the 100th show. Thanks for being on the American Shoreline Podcast Network and part of our team. And uh, congratulations on getting Governor John Bell Edwards on the 100th show. That's pretty, pretty fantastic. So... That was a that was a highlight for me last night. Well, uh, last and I'm not going to listening. I'm to not going to let Peter get off the hook here uh, without talking about the local control show. <laughs> yeah, that we put out just on Friday. Yeah, uh, it's still fresh, but uh, folks, go back and listen to that one. This might be the most peculiar, odd, weird coastal town on the American shoreline. I think so. Quintana Beach, Texas. Uh, you know, we we I was able to interview. Uh, Debbie Longus, who is a city council person in Quintana Beach, Texas, and her husband, who is the mayor of Quintana Beach, Texas. So a few things about this beach town. It's on a barrier island. Um, it's just south of the Freeport, south of the Freeport Ship Channel entrance, not too far from Houston. We're south of the of Galveston Bay. Um, two miles of beach. Uh, a mile of that is in a county park beautiful beachfront county park, open city beach for a mile. The population of the town is eight, eight people. And I believe that includes a child. Uh, So Steve and Debbie represent 25% of the population of the town. Uh, And this is a town with a budget of $1.2 million a year. And there are no paid, well, there's a paid, there are two paid staffers. I think there's a city administrator and a city secretary. I think that's right. I think that's right. And how Quintana Beach came to be this unique town uh, with eight people and a two mile long stretch of beach with a big park in the middle of it is an interesting story and one that we I'd encourage you to take take a take a look at <laughs> you know listen to the interview I think it's an interesting story there's nothing like it I, I think there is nothing like Quintana Beach on the American shoreline and uh, the history of the town is is intimately tied into the creation of an LNG export terminal um, that that LNG uh, plant is located on the edge of the town. They've essentially bought out everybody in the town, and they they make a pretty good payment in lieu of taxes to the town uh, for property taxes. And that's kind of the history. But, you know, uh, it's it's a place I haven't been to in a while. I used to go to Quintana quite a bit. I haven't been there in a few years. I really want to get back and, and say hello to Steve and Debbie and check out this most unique and unusual beach town on the American shoreline. Well, Peter, I couldn't agree more with that. Uh, it's a great show. It's a great insight into this. I guess it's fair to say just small community here on, on the beach. And it's, you know, it's in quite close proximity to Houston, which is really crazy. And, uh, 
It isn't. In, it's exactly what we were talking about before with the living coast. I mean, this is what you get on the Texas coast, especially right in that area. Yeah, is uh, little communities tucked in underneath uh, and behind major multi-billion-dollar yeah coastal uh, c- coastal Industries. industry. Yeah, major installations where they're spending uh, privately. The private sector is certainly spending hundreds of millions, if not billions, of dollars in. Uh, the pipeline infrastructure, the port infrastructure, the docking mm-hmm. stuff, the everything coming in, um, yep. and you know th- these are these are serious uh, plants where they they liquefy the natural gas and get it ready to be put on these ships. Yeah. Um, so this is right in their backyard. <laughs> it is. It's. <laughs> it is their backyard. It is the backyard. It's. They've uh, leased it basically. It is, and I think what's amazing about the city is I think I think Steve said that. Uh, Garbage service is free, right? And I think he said in the fall, That's right. free internet. I think is that they what they said? They, I think they have free internet if you're if you live in the town. I think the garbage service is free. And he also said oh, that they mow the, your lawn. Oh, they the, they trim in, the trees in the fall. They have a tree trimming service <laughs> come true. through, take care of all of the palm trees in the town, so that they're all, you know, they trim off the bottom. Uh, dead fronds fronds, and keep the town looking good. I mean, you know, you can do that when you've got a million dollars and eight people on the payroll. Uh, That's right. <laughs> or eight, people, eight that. people in the city and three on the payroll. Yeah. I just think it's a, it's, it's a peculiar and weird and interesting beach town. And I was glad to talk to Debbie and Steve after many years. I hadn't talked to these guys and it's been about 15 years since the last time I, I worked with them back in the day before before it really changed. Um, well, if you want to uh, do yourself a favor, go on to Google Maps and just Google up uh, Quintana Beach, yeah. Texas, yeah. and take a peek at what it looks like. I mean, right. It's just stark to look at it. Listen to the show and, and get the map out and take a look at Quintana Beach. So, Peter, I think uh, we should dive into what we have coming up this week. But before yeah. we do that, yeah, yeah. I think that we should uh, have a quick word from a sponsor. <laughs> really? Okay. Who who would you like us to have a word from? Well, I think that it is high time that we told folks to get their butts to the ASBPA National Conference. Oh yeah, in Myrtle Beach, North Carolina, South Carolina, South Carolina. Excuse me, Myrtle Beach, yes. South Carolina. That's exactly it's very right. close to North Carolina. It is. It's just, just south the of there. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen. Uh, this is the Where Coasts and Rivers Meet Conference, ASBPA's 2019 National Conference. Um, we are thrilled we will be there uh, podcasting. We are the official exclusive podcast partner of ASBPA for this conference. And uh, listen, uh, this is this is where every coastal uh, professional, coastal engineers, uh, this is where you want to go and uh, learn what is going on. They have an incredible panel, uh, hundreds, I think it's fair to say, of presentations. Yeah. Um, incredible keynote speaker. I don't have the uh, full program in front of me at the moment, but uh, it's early still. The The conference is October 22nd to October 25th. And it'll be in Myrtle Beach, and, and we're going to be there, and we're going to be podcasting from the conference, Tyler. I think uh, it'll start with our kickoff interview with Derek Brockbank, the executive director of ASBPA. We'll be putting him on the show probably here later in August to talk about the conference, the highlights, what you're going to see when you get there. And then during the event, we'll be podcasting. Uh, we're going to interview the keynote speaker. We're going to interview some of the panelists who stand out to us. Uh, we always do the wrap up with all the attendees. So there'll be several shows. 
coming from Myrtle Beach at the ASBPA it's conference. It's our second look, year, baby. Yeah, look forward to it. Looking forward to it. So uh, yeah, see you fun. there. It'll be real fun. All right, Peter, let's move along. Let's talk about the great stuff we've got coming up this week. <laughs> Well, you know, Jenna Valente and the Sea Change podcast out of Boston, one of my favorite shows on ASPN. Uh, Jenna has got a show coming out Wednesday. She sat down with Caitlin, her name was Caitlin Manley, uh, Manley from the Community Volunteer Ambassador with Fire Island National Seashore up in New York. She's with the National Park Service. Peter. She is, National Park. So, uh, what is what about this show? This is a good show, I think. Well, this is a great show. So if you thought we were too Texas, too far down in the deep old South, <laughs> we're kicking it up to New York, baby. <laughs> Grab yourself a slice of pizza and listen to this show. It's killer. Uh, so Fire Island National Seashore is up. I want to say it's on Long Island, it if is. I'm not mistaken. Uh, yes, it is. It's up there on that. You know, Long Island is, by the way, very inch. We should do a whole show on uh, the geology of that. It, very interesting uh island out there but um fire island national seashore beautiful uh place on the american shoreline uh, extremely highly visited and beloved uh stretch of shoreline and jenna uh is talking with kate about her job bringing people in to volunteer and engaging the community uh of people that are just drawn to the shoreline and want to be involved in its care and its its uh, preservation and existence, and it's just absolutely uh, incredible. And one of the cool things that Kate gets to do as part of her job is she gets to live there. <laughs> yeah. Very few people get to live on a national seashore, and she does. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. Um, so hearing about her life uh, experience working there, working with volunteers, uh, everything they're doing from... Uh, sea turtle stuff all the way through to uh, controlling deer populations. They've got a real issue out there with uh, managing white-tailed deer populations and, man of course, the public perception of having to call deer is, is something to deal with. Tough but she, to deal with. She, man she works with the public on all that stuff and uh, from everything everything like that to picking up trash and, yeah. and organizing trash pickups. So you know? on Wednesday, take a trip to the Fire Island National Seashore, 26 miles of uh, bay and ocean shoreline in this national park. Fantastic maritime forest dunes. You don't think of New York and think you know, raw national park beauty, but this is a, one of the great coastal parks in America. So on Wednesday, jump into the Sea Change podcast with Jenna Valente and take a trip up to Fire Island National Seashore. And Seashort. don't forget your slice love of it. pizza. <laughs> you love it. Yeah. That's right. And let's talk about our Friday show, Peter. So on Friday next week coming up now, uh, Dan Martin, who's uh, out of Chicago and is the host of the Next Gen Waterfronts podcast on ASPN, uh, Dan's show is dedicated to coastal economics and coastal development and particularly land use. Yeah. And uh, Dan sat down with Mary Lud. It's 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 Ludgen. Uh, yeah. Is that right? That's right. Is that how you pronounce it? Mary yeah. Ludgen? Ludgen. Ludgen, who's a senior managing director at Heitman. Um, now, Heitman is a company in Chicago that is an international real estate investment management firm. These guys are huge. They manage $44 billion worth of property for their clients. It's a privately held company, but they're real estate investors and managers for uh, communities, uh, people all over the world, and a lot of their investments are along the coast. So this show is a pretty high-level conversation between Dan Martin, the host of the show, and Mary 
uh, legend from uh, from from Heitman talking about risk. Right. I mean, this is going to be a really interesting discussion to listen to on Friday. Yeah. So Mary uh, works with serious international buyers and sellers of uh, real estate. And uh, we're talking about a community of folks that uh, is increasingly becoming interested in uh, flood risk, climate risk, and along the the shoreline where, uh, coincidentally, some of the most valuable property, in fact, I believe Mary says on the show, the most valuable property. Uh, and she, she measures this in several ways from uh, commercial, industrial, to rentals, you know, condos yeah. and things like that. These are the most valuable properties uh, in America. And um, it's just a fascinating show. They talk about uh, uh, how this community of, of buyers and sellers is becoming increasingly conversant in uh, this risk vocabulary and interested in, in this multivariable uh, view of it. It's not just about flood and fire and wind. Uh, there's much, it's much more complicated. And, um, Dan, man, Dan is just a great show host, uh, because he asks, he, he, he tracks the conversation and asks these just no nonsense questions that just, just make sense. It's not tied up in some highfalutin language. You do not need to be a real estate person or a, 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 an economist to understand and follow this conversation. It is, it really makes sense. And it's super yeah. illuminating to be able to see how Mary and people of her uh, profession and her uh, status. I mean, Mary is, is an extremely high level person in this realm, but yeah, to see how they think and, a managing director at, at Heitman. Yeah. I think what, uh, what, what I love about Dan's show and particularly this particular topic area uh, is you're, he's talking about the economics of the shoreline in a way that connects it to the actual risks and that are there. So in other words, if you're trying to understand to what extent is climate change something that needs to be considered or is sea level rise seriously something that we have to contend with? I always say, look to the people with the money. If you've got a billion dollars in the game and you're spending your time trying to figure out how to respond to these emerging risks along the coast, uh, you're not doing that because it's a hoax or because someone persuaded you to. You're doing it because it is in your economic interest to understand these emerging risks. And uh, what's interesting is to see now uh, the le- the extent to which uh, significant climate associated risk, climate change associated risks are being incorporated into the analysis for real estate investments and to local governments around the country. Um, And this particular interview that Dan's doing on Friday on, uh, on, on his show is goes hand in hand with the story we covered last week uh, about the acquisition by Moody's and everybody knows who Moody is. They're the bond rating uh, company firm that uh, issues municipal bond ratings and all kinds of uh, ratings for financial instruments. They just bought a company out of California called twenty uh, called Four Twenty Seven Incorporated, and that acquisition, which was uh, was a majority share of uh, of Four Twenty Seven, uh, gives Moody's a new way to evaluate risks in in the bond ratings that they're doing, uh, and. And 427 is a company that has come up with a climate... Uh, this is your Moneyball yeah. high-tech 
multivariable, big algorithm. Yeah, climate risk assessment That's right. modeling that they do. That's right. Moody's has acquired them and is going to start looking at municipal bond uh, ratings with an eye toward climate change. So for all the coastal communities out there who use bonds for financing infrastructure, and they all do, uh, and you know we used to be part of the process right. of putting those bonds in place for coastal communities. Uh, Moody's is going to start evaluating the extent to which your bonds are put at risk and your repayment potential is put at risk by climate change related risk. And and so I'm just thinking what Dan is doing in the, in the private sector and seeing what the real estate investors are starting to do. We're also starting to see it in the public sector. Uh, the people with the money are paying attention to these emerging risks. And uh, that tells you. Yeah. It's that- a continuation really of the same theme we saw at EarthX where, uh, call it what you will, cause be what they, what it may be, yeah. really does not need to be discussed. Uh, the risks are going up. Uh, the amount of money that it costs to mitigate and avoid uh, or repair, rebuild, is increasing. And the financial institutions that are charged with figuring all that out and properly appraising it are making adjustments. Yeah. And um, that will definitely be inf- have huge influence on how coasts are developed and managed, I, I have to believe. I think so. It starts to, what I love about it is you, you take the financial implications of climate risks in the public and private sector on, on as one thread. And on the other side of an, 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 a separate thread really is, is Rob Young and the Center for Developed Shorelines and those guys talking about policies that should, <laughs> should change what is allowed on the coast, right, to manage development in a different way. Uh, and talk about and they and they're very sensitive to the economic incentives that drive coastal development in particular patterns. And so, what what I'm starting to see is is a greater emphasis on which we start to hear manage retreat. We start to hear about bigger setbacks. We start to hear about gee as we need living shorelines and spaces for dunes and. Uh, so you've got the, the the management, the technical management, the policy stuff, and then the financial angle of climate change really coming through Moody's acquisition of, uh, of Fort uh, 27 Inc. and uh, what these uh, real estate investment trust folks are doing with their money and how they're changing it. So I think there's a lot going on. Yeah. So uh, Friday, killer show, Dan Martin. Yeah. Don't miss it. Uh, this is the kind of stuff that we uh, want to highlight. It, it highlights trends and uh, the way people are thinking about things moving forward. And uh, uh, just going to be a great show coming up on Friday, Peter, on ASPN. Baby. Right. That's right. And uh, let's let's hit a few of the highlights of the weekend news, Tyler. You, you were uh, uh, able to add some show. We don't usually add new news over the weekend, but I really like that you did that this weekend. I think we're going to start doing it putting up some some fresh content over the weekend. And I think the headline of the weekend news that you posted was EPA's uh, lifting of a preemptive barrier to the pebble mine, the pebble mine up in Bristol Bay, Alaska, uh, the most productive fishery on the American shoreline and perhaps in the world, uh, is going to be the site of a new mine called the pebble mine. And it's I think it's a it's a copper and it's a, it's a multi-mineral mine. Multi-mineral. It's uh, but it's a huge, huge deal. And there's been a knockdown drag out fight between the Bristol Bay fishermen, the native American community, the mine owner and owners and proponents. And, uh, the EPA, 
just lifted its hold, essentially, its threatened veto of the permit. In other words, the pebble mine is getting green-lighted under the new administration, and uh, it's raising a lot of a lot of concern up there in Bristol Bay, Alaska. Yeah, and it's this is a complex story on the American shoreline because it has to do with who has the power to make these decisions. It's a local control story mixed with a uh, a story about native people up there, uh, fishermen, fisheries, and the health of those fisheries. There's grave concern among fishermen and native people that this mine will um, n- will at some point result in some sort of uh, major calamity where uh, there will be a spill of this m- mining debris and, and offloads. And, yes. Yeah. And that it will work its way into this really complex watershed. I mean, the, if you look at aerial photography of that area, it's a, it's almost, it's an incredibly, in, incredible yeah, multiple, landscape. Multiple rivers coming into the bay system, multiple salmon runs um, all throughout the season. Right there. Um, you know, I don't know a lot about, I mean, there's, it's a very technical question. I don't want to overstate what, what we're following. We're it. following it. I, I, I read about it. I'm very interested in the, in what's going to happen with the pebble mine. I think the fight's far from over. Uh, for for folks who are opposed to the mine, I think the, the legal system is probably uh, soon to be the next step. And we've had a couple of the of folks who who uh, fish that fishery on the show um, and on ASPN. And I think we'll probably continue to get some firsthand accounts of what's happening up in Bristol Bay as that project moves. Certainly forward. continue to to follow it. Uh, the, our other top story uh, from the weekend is uh, down in Southern California. Yeah. Uh, um, now, this is not supposed to be kind of if it bleeds, it leads kind of thing, but it just goes to show the situation yeah. there. Um, uh, across the wires, we got word that a hunk of coastal cliff had collapsed and uh, crushed some folks. And I believe three uh, people were killed in this incident. Right. Um, over the weekend. And this just goes on with this uh, longer Grand, Grand View Beach, north of San Diego, I think is that's, what they called that's it. That's correct, yeah. And uh, this goes, you know, we've been covering California, um, the Coastal Commission, how the California coast is being managed, and so on and so forth. And I do have a quick clarification I would like to make. Um, on a previous show, the, our midsummer show, I, oh, yeah. I think I overstated the <laughs> Coastal Commission's uh, position exactly on armament. But um, the, the the bottom line is that, and by the way, in the photographs of this, the headlines all said uh, Coastal Cliff fell down. It looked to me as though this had been a reinforced uh, cliff. It looked like there was some concrete kind of some sort of shot creep maybe sprayed on yeah, it. And then I that cliff so. came down. Um, and, uh, you know, we're going to have to wait and find out if there's some follow-up reporting as to exactly what happened there. Right. Um, but, and I don't want to bypass the fact that people were killed here, but let's re- be real as the beach retreats and you armor up, the beach gets smaller and the people, people get closer to the armament. Right. And here you have armament failing and falling on people who are recreating. <laughs> right. Um, and so it's, it's kind of a stark reminder of that's where it can end. 
Um, and it's in the context of lots of stories we're seeing coming out. So my clarification is quite simply that, look, the Coastal Commission does see, I do stand by my broad claim that the commission is broadly really reconsidering the era of armament. And it seems to me, this is Tyler Buckingham's opinion, to be moving in a direction away from armament. However, I do understand that in 2018, a thousand feet of armament were approved by the Coastal Commission. I do understand that uh, armament that is less than 50% damaged can be repaired without a fresh permit. Um, so I understand that. And thanks for that clarification. Yeah. But um, I do stand by the general trend and we are following this in the news. It seems like, geez, every two weeks we get a story out of California about some sort of a permit for armament that um, is not being. Uh, yeah. There's been some fights. There's been some fights, especially with this cliff stuff because yeah, uh, this, this, these are areas where, boy, I Ma- mean, yeah, the Massachusetts shoreline as well. I mean, the, the stories we've been following on, uh, sea cliffs and bluff, uh, reinforcement because of rising seas, uh, these cliffs are falling back, uh, and their structures have been lost. Structures are in, in danger along the California coast. This, uh, particular incident where three people were killed, uh, by uh, a collapse of a, of a cliff face. It's not the first time that that's happened. It's happened historically off and on in various parts along the Cal. The thing that made this uh, so striking to me as a story was one of the women who was killed, they were there celebrating the fact that she had survived breast cancer. This, was an, this, this event at the beach was her family's kind of celebration of her recovery from breast cancer. And then to to die in, in this unbelievable way is just absolutely tragic and sad. I just, so it struck me that when, when that happened and, but yeah. I, but I think the policy implications on fortification of the American shoreline are going to become more intense. Um, I think what we've been kind of angling toward is this notion that in the urban areas, like in uh, New York city or in San Francisco or in Houston, where there's a lots of infrastructure, the fortification of those shorelines is is probably going to be the path forward, even if they integrate living shoreline elements into the fortification system, like yeah. wetlands and oyster reefs. The and Dutch model, you might say. The Dutch model. and it, But out on these residential beaches and barrier island beaches, um, you know, it's harder to allow the, the fortification to go forward because you'll just end up having to do it all. And uh, so the the... The solutions are tough, uh, and the policy questions are difficult, and um, and you know it's it's a it's a battle in every state, whether you're over there in North Carolina and South Carolina, or on the Texas coast, or out in the West Coast. It is, you know, the battle over fortification and protection of property, is, or Hawaii for that matter. Yeah, that's right, I or think, Hawaii. I think that the reason why it's important to highlight, and the reason why we do highlight all of this, uh, these stories of armament from all over the country is that uh, different states handle uh, these problems and attack these problems slightly differently. And it's informative to see these different approaches. Um, And the California Coastal Commission has definitely, in my opinion, is definitely charting a path. And um, we're going to follow it. I think it's definitely worth following. Yeah. 
have to be. And there's several stories on the front of Coastal News today right now that are in this topic area. One about a judge upholding an order to remove a seawall in Laguna Beach, California. That's from last week. From very relevant. Um, And Delaware, the first state officials slammed the seawall plan. You know, there's a big armoring proposal being discussed in Delaware right now. So armoring fortification of the American coast, what are we going to do about sea level rise? I mean, that's a uh, topic with regular focus on Coastal News today. That's right, Peter. And uh, goodness, this week we look forward to bringing uh, all of our listeners and readers another uh, week of the Coastal News. Uh, we really are having a lot of fun with this. We've, we're kind of in this great groove right now. <laughs> of, I think uh, we are. Doing, we're, we're doing the news. We've got these shows coming out. Uh, I think we're about ready to wrap up. I got one more. Uh, just I just want to say, uh, reach out to us if you want to uh, get your logo, boost your brand using uh, ASPN or Coastal News Today. We are uh, looking for ad spots. Uh, we have a fiscal agency. Uh, we are uh, becoming a nonprofit and we have a, a fiscal agency. So if you're looking for a 501c3 exemption, we've got that for you. And hey, listen, we're just looking forward to bringing the news and uh, coastal insight to the thought leaders of the American shoreline. And uh, we could really use your support to make that happen. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, so check it out. Check out Coastal News today. Take a look at the shows last week on ASPN. Remember the Living Coast and all you folks out there at ASBPA and uh, with Gulf of Mexico Alliance and Embrace the Gulf. Uh, take a look at the Living Coast and see if that show makes sense to incorporate into what you're doing. And uh, Totter, thanks a lot for a great week uh, on ASPN last week and looking forward to another one coming up this week. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. <laughs>